Yeah, Carlsberg doesn't do bonuses, but if it did, it wouldn't do bonuses like this. How are you doing? Are you well? I don't give a shite mind. I just ask that. It's a bit of a cliche, really. No, I do, I do. I hope you're well. It's Friday at 3 o'clock. I fancied a bit of a chin wag. Just to kind of do something a little bit different. So let's have a chat about a few things. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, I'm probably talking to myself. Such was the lack of promotion of this madness. But anyway, you might very well be on the podcast. How are you? Are you well? It's a clear and bright afternoon in Salford. Little bit chilly. I think we might have just seen off the worst of the cold weather this week. Looking forward to the weekend, are you? You are? Me too. Not, not much planned this weekend, apart from chilling out, reading a book, having a cold beer or two, and watching some Six Nations rugby tomorrow. That's about it for me this coming weekend. There are a few things we can chat about. If you happen to be listening live, do drop in by the website or via the website. That is richieallen.co.uk. And if you like, leave a comment there. I'm coming down with a little bit of a head cold. Not much, really. Just a little bit of a head cold. So I probably sound a bit heavy. And I'm not. I'm 13 stone, seven and a half pounds these days. Which is not bad. Am I still talking over the same tune? Am I? Am I? I bloody well am. Let me get rid of it. Uh, there. Yeah, just thinking about doing something a bit different. You build a radio studio that's all bells and whistles, the best thing since sliced bread. And you say you should use it a bit more often, but don't uh, don't get excited and don't get used to this. I do enough. Uh, you know that. I know that. I do enough. And I do need my rest. You know what I thought this morning with herself working away with not much else happening, I wasn't going out to do something today, which I which I try to do on my Friday off, and I thought, well, it won't tax me too much to grab some audio and to come on and have a bit of a natter with you, but don't get used to it. I should be resting. Anyway, the weekend is here fabuloso. Fabuloso. I'm in the middle, which I think I've mentioned before, of John Grisham's latest novel. I love John Grisham. I love him. I don't think he writes as excitingly as he once did, but he still writes a mean legal thriller, and his latest one, I think, is probably his best work for some years, if you like that sort of thing. I read enough non-fiction. I do need a little bit of a fix of fiction from time to time to help me wind down. And a good legal thriller... Listen, tell me this and tell me no more. Are you a gamer? Were you a gamer? Me? Yeah. I've dallied with it. I've messed around with it. I had the SNES, the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. I had the PlayStation 2 20 years ago or thereabouts. And I loved some of those games on there. The first person war games. Medal of Honor and stuff like that. But I can remember going to Tremor in County Waterford in the 80s as a teenager, late 80s, with my friends and playing Double Dragon in the arcade there. Remember Double Dragon? I used to play Outrun 
remember Outrun. Correct me again if I'm wrong, but Outrun, I think, was produced by Sega. I love that sort of thing. Car racing games. So I would have played Burnout 2 on the, on the say it for me, PlayStation 2. So gaming. But it's been a while. Now, for the crack, the missus picked up a Nintendo console for me over the Christmas. I haven't yet kind of gotten stuck into it, but I am planning on getting into it for the crack to see how I get on with it. But I haven't yet managed to to find the time to play it. Why am I mentioning computer games? Well, this is why. Have a listen to this news bulletin from the BBC News. uh, BBC at one. This is it. Here we go. Hogwarts Legacy, a big-budget video game set in the Harry Potter universe, is released today. But although it's one of the most anticipated titles of the year, it is being boycotted by some who want to make a stand against the author J.K. Rowling's public comments on policies relating to transgender people. The BBC's gaming correspondent Stefan Powell has more. Now, now J.K. Rowling didn't make this game, didn't produce it, didn't design it, and has nothing to do with it. But there are those who would rather you didn't play the game um, in solidarity with the trannies. It's surprising, given the level of interest in this world of wizards, witches and wands over the years, that a fully-fledged, big-budget gaming adaptation has taken this long to be made. But after years of being on the wish list of many a Harry Potter fan, it's finally here. Take this. Find them giving players the opportunity to zoom around on a broomstick, learn to cast spells and explore the famous castle, fighting and dodging adversaries along the way. We leave our legacy in your hands. Interest is high. Records have been broken in the lead-up to release, with 1.3 million people at one point watching early previews being played online. 1.3 million people watching early previews online. Geeks! Yes, of course they're geeks. But not everyone's happy, arguing that supporting the game is backing J.K. Rowling's public statements about the trans community. This is mental, isn't it? How often have we talked about this only this week? This is mental. Lunacy. You shouldn't buy the game. Why? Because if you do buy the game, that means you must agree with J.K. Rowling's comments on the trans people. And of course, most people, particularly geeky gamers, probably won't have a Scooby-Doo whatever J.K. Rowling said about trans people. This is lunacy. This is cancel culture at its zenith. Right? Crazy stuff. You, If you buy that game, you must agree with her. What did she say, uh, Rowling? Well, she said women can't have penises. I think that's about the gist of it. They say those views are transphobic and have caused harm to trans people. No, no, no. Somebody saying something you doesn't like doesn't harm you. Doesn't do anything to you physically. At all. Doesn't harm you. Pissing you off doesn't harm you. More. Playing the game, they say, legitimises them. Oh, Jesus. This goes beyond just, you know, J.K. Rowling making... Oh, hang on. This is a crazy-looking freak called... um, Let me grab my diary here. You shouldn't refer to human beings in those terms. Yeah, but this is a freak um, called... Let me find out. Eva Echo. A trans person. Eva Echo. Who supports the the boycotting of the game because if you buy the game it's indicating that you agree with jk rowling just you know jk rowling making money by buying the game you're sending a clear message that you see this this new game no you don't you freak 
that takes priority over the lives of trans people. No, you don't, you freak. You are not saying by buying the game that you put your enjoyment of the game above the rights of trans people. You ridiculous freak. That's four times now. Absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. People have been reading the Harry Potter books, watching the films, going to the theatrical reimagining of Harry Potter and loving the bloody thing for years. They love it. And now a game comes out, they love this stuff. They want to be in the game. They want to be playing first person in the Harry Potter universe. And by doing that, they are not endorsing anybody's views. You fucking cretin. You ridiculous fucking muppet. The same with with what with, with what's his face on on GB News, Neil Oliver. He interviewed a bloke who talks about constitutional law. But yeah, but that bloke previously wrote for a magazine, and that magazine had a anti-Semitic writer. Holy shit! Degrees of separation. All of a sudden, well, well, Neil Oliver must be anti-Semitic then. Well, Neil Oliver probably hasn't a fucking clue where the constitutional law expert has written articles in the past, and he probably has less of a clue about anybody else who may or may not have written for that particular publication. This is insane. This is insane. And this is winning, by the way. J.K. Rowling has previously said that she supports trans rights, but she doesn't believe transgender people should have access to single-sex spaces. Wow, how controversial. A lot to absorb on your first day. The development team behind the game say that the creator of The Wizarding World was not involved in making it. Nothing to do with it. And today, people are looking forward to playing. For me, it was really hard to not be excited. This is, this is a woman who designs games herself. Is this is a world and a universe that I grew up just falling in love with. It was my escape. I, I do think that this whole controversy has kind of overshadowed what is an amazing experience. Innate and learn. The title has received positive reviews for its gameplay and is expected to be one of the biggest sellers of 2023. Yeah, Stefan Powell. BBC News. Yeah, the screaming snowflakes do what everybody else has ever done in history. The more you call for something to be boycotted or banned, of course, the more people are inclined to want to take a close look at it. Jesus, why do so many people want me not to play this game? Let's play it and find out. 57 or 60 quid or something for some of these games. Do you play the games? Does anybody play the game? Do you play them? I don't anymore, but as I said, I might have a go. I'm old enough to remember Pong. You remember that? The two dots? The the, the little... Was it Atari? I can't remember. Who invented Pong? You plugged it into the back of the telly and you played that tennis game with the blips. With the blips. Doop. Blip. Blip. Remember that? I'm old enough to remember that. And, and, and I'm old enough to remember my grandparents thinking that the world was coming to an end. Jesus Christ. You're, you're playing tennis on the telly. You're, you're actually controlling the game on the telly. Jesus Christ. That's how it was. That's how exciting it was. If they only knew what was coming, dear listener. If they only knew what was coming. This is Richie Allen with you on Friday. And this is Take That. More chat in three. Sensational pop song from Gary Barlow. That's Mark Owen singing Take That and Hold Up a Light from the Circus album. Gary Barlow. 
Hi Bill, he's in, he's just got in from work, he's listening, he's off to the boozer later, enjoy. Max says, think it was Grandstand or Atari, Richie. You're probably right, Max. My, As far as the name of these very, very early consoles with Pong, I wouldn't remember. Hi to Sean O'Mar, who says, Richie, great show with John Waters yesterday. Gives me great hope that there's a small bit of common sense left in the world. Thanks, pal. And he said, it's powerful what you shared at the end of the show as well. I don't think it was powerful, but thank you very much, uh, Sean. Yeah, the... Four out of five times I invite somebody to come on the programme, they turn me down. And by somebody, I mean people who've got some sort of a profile. They say no, 80% of the time, sometimes more. And it's because of the relentless attacks on the programme and me over the last five years from groups who claim to be defending the, the rights of, the, of, of, of Jewish people. People who claim that the programme is anti-Semitic. And um, I talked about this in, you know, in context because of what Neil Oliver was accused of. And I said that my ambition for the programme has never been realised and never will be realised because of that. So in that sense, the enemies of, of free speech, I suppose, have won. But they haven't won because I haven't given up presenting the radio show. It does get a bit tedious sometimes, as I said yesterday, when somebody is invited on and they turned me down, despite the enormous reach of the programme, which I'm very proud of. Allow me that little bit of ego. I'm very proud of that, because I've worked very hard to achieve that. And then I see that doctor or scientist go on a Mickey Mouse podcast. And I think, Jesus Christ, you know. And so it isn't jealousy. Listen to what I'm saying. It's frustration um, that they achieve that desired outcome, to scare people off the programme. And I'm not going to go into this because I got into it yesterday, so let's leave it there. But go back to the Harry Potter game, you know, to be trying to find people. Some of these idiots who claim to be looking out for the rights of trans people, and of course they're not really looking out for the rights of people coping with gender dysphoria or body dysmorphia, whatever you you want to say. They're actually trying to find people who have bought the game and cancel them somehow because they bought a video game. You bought the video game, therefore you're a hateful, transphobic bastard. What? I bought the video game because I want to play the video game. And um, you see it with Neil Oliver. They'll scare people away from talking about a one-world government with somebody like Neil Oliver because the implication is, well, if you talk to Neil Oliver, again, it's anti-Semitism by degrees of separation. Well, you might not be an anti-Semite, but but maybe Neil Oliver is, even though he isn't. But he had a guy on, who's not anti-Semitic either, but that guy once wrote for a newspaper, and the newspaper had an anti-Semitic journalist on the staff. You're shitting me. Oh, I can't go on Neil Oliver's programme then, because he'll separate me. <laughs> you'll, 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 you'll associate me with anti-Semitism. A Jewish journalist who I've been in touch with through a previous guest on the programme, he has come up with a wonderful way of phrasing this. He's come up with a wonderful term for it. A- adjacent anti-Semitism he has come up with. It's amazing. And the the enemies of free speech, I don't say the enemies of this programme because I'm not a truther and I'm not a martyr and I'm not a grifter. I don't feel that I'm being attacked personally, I'm not. But free speech is... And the enemies of free speech achieve their 
desire or their state, sorry, achieved their their mission, succeeded in their mission, because most people with a even a smidgen of a public profile will not come on here, despite knowing that this is the biggest game in town. If I go on with him, a lot of people will hear it. You ask anybody who's ever come on this program to talk about a book. I, I, I challenge you, anybody, anybody in the independent media who's come on with me to promote a book overnight, 500,000, 1,500, 2,000 books just like that. And that's massive. But can't come on. You're not hateful, Richie. That's even ridiculous talking in those terms. You're not hateful. Anyway, I said I'd stop because I talked about it last night and it doesn't bother me as much as I might let on that it does. Hi to John. How are you, John? Welcome to the weekend. Welcome back. Here's an interesting uh, message from Teacup. 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 I was listening to yesterday's episode. In your example about someone giving some money, right, I talked about the digital pound. The Bank of England and the Treasury says that this decade there will be a digital pound. Cashless, right? A central, a centralised bank, a central bank digital currency. Completely monitored. A rules-based currency. Rules-based. The creator of the currency controls the rules in terms of how it can be used and when and when it can't be used and spent. And I said, nothing in the future will be possible. I will not be able to give 50 quid to a nephew or a niece, or a friend in a birthday card. Here's 50 quid, go and buy yourself, I don't know, go and get a nice takeaway at the weekend, and a couple of bottles of wine. Here's 50. No, because the government will know this. Of course they will know it, and they will take some money away from you. Taxation. They 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 will tax it. What's wrong with me? They'll tax it. Teacup makes an interesting point. In your example about someone giving some money to a family member. You said something similar to, the government might say, family member gave you £500, you owe us £50 tax. But Teacup says, I've, over, I've overlooked something. I think it would be more like, family member gave you 500 quid. we took our £50 tax. They will not need to ask. Our bank account will be with the government. Don't like it, tough, there will be no switching. You're with the central bank or you are unbanked. And there is no cash, so you have no choice. You can do nothing without their bank, so behave. That's a good point. Absolutely bang on. Echoed by Jenny and by Kelly Marr. Hi, Kelly. Hi to Pandora, who says, There have been tons of Harry Potter video games already, so this reporter knows nothing. Speaking of video games, Mick says, I played Outrun on the ZX Spectrum. Is that right, Mick? I do remember reading about the ZX Spectrum. I remember friends of mine when I was a teenager, when I was younger, had the Commodore 64 and the games were basically cassette tapes, weren't they? Amazing. How things have advanced. Hi, Peter. Got in from Orky, says, good way to start the weekend. And I enjoyed John Waters yesterday. That's Peter. Thank you, Peter. I enjoyed listening to John myself. Lovely. Okie doke. Let's move on. 23 minutes past the hour. You will know of three. You will know that Faulty Towers will be rebooted. John Cleese announced this earlier in the week and it's making the news pretty much every day this week. Now, John Cleese was on GB News. Wasn't, isn't he an amazing actor, John Cleese? Like, if you look at the things that he has done, not just Monty Python's Flying Circus, not just Faulty Towers, not just, obviously, the Monty Python films, 
but other films that he was involved in, A Fish Called Wanda. And what was the... What was the... He made a film one time where he played a school teacher who had to make a journey against the clock. What was it called? It was very good. I haven't seen it in many years, but I know you look it up and then you'll pretend that you knew all along, you crafty bastard. That's what you do. So anyway, Cleese was on GB News with the wretched Dan Wooten. He probably never heard of me, and if he did, he probably wouldn't think think even too highly of me either. Sometimes I do revert to Waterford. I say think instead of think. I say that instead of that. It happens. I slip back sometimes, back to the old days. Shall I start again? John Cleese was on with Stan Wooten on GB News to talk about the new reboot of Faulty Towers. And first of all, they spoke about, well, so it's not going to be on the BBC then, John? Oh, because you wouldn't get the freedom. You see, I was terribly lucky, Dan. I was working for the BBC in the late 60s, 70s, beginning of the 80s. That was the best time because the BBC was run by people with real personality um, who, who loved the medium and they were operating out of confidence, which was okay because there wasn't so much competition in these days. Then John Burt came in and said, if we go match the listening or viewing figures that, that the commercial channels are getting, we'll get our license revoked. So then they started going for uh, the biggest audiences and and uh, they tended to go for the lowest common denominator while always, always denying that they were doing. But if you took a, a paper now from 1985 and looked at the television shows that are available mm. that evening and compare what they are now, it means, and I, I believe this, basically in Britain we've gone from what was a middle class culture with all its failings to a tabloid culture. Mm. And that is why there's so much of this screaming at people. You see, I want to deal with... Did you notice the irony there? Dan Wooten said, mm. Dan Wooten didn't like it very much when John Cleese said, we've gone from, you know, a kind of a middle-class culture to a tabloid culture. The Dan Wooten has played a big part in the tabloid culture. Wretched little toe rag that he is, anyway. With a lot of the subjects that get people upset, but I want to get sensible people with a sense of humour who will listen to each other and who will trade arguments instead of simply making speeches. Yes, indeed, and that's what we try and do on GB News. Always yeah. have both sides of the argument to... You don't, you lying little bastard. Dan Wooten's programme on GB News is like so many programmes on talk TV, like Piers Morgan. They sit there and criticise and mock and ridicule people who they never offer right of reply to. They don't have the other side of it, ever. They're liars, all of them. Anywho, let's stay with Cleese for a moment. Will there be, will the new Faulty Towers reboot, will it be about walkery? Okay, so Faulty Towers will have a new home it will not be on the BBC. That's big news. Of course, the BBC in recent years has even started to censor or offer trigger warnings on old episodes of Faulty Towers. So well, I think right, what you you're know, saying is correct. There's a argument about wokery, and some of it springs from a very good idea, which is like try to be kind to people. But I believe it's become far too dominated by people who are um frightened of offending people mm. and i i don't i think you have to allow offense and you say well you do you do you like we want people to be shouting racial epithets of people and the answer is no 
but I don't think prison is a correct sanction. Do you see what I mean? Indeed, it's the tyranny uh, of woke. It's the tyranny of woke. Well, it's a, yes, but there's lots of good angles to work. But then it goes to the crazy extremes, yeah. you know, like the new statesman. I did see one thing last night. The new statesman said, it's going to be bloody awful about my show. And I want to say, well, do you really know what it's going to be like? And the idea that it's all going to be about wokery hadn't particularly occurred to me. I mean, the, the the show I'm doing, you know, the dinosaur, the show I'm doing for GB News, that will deal with those kind of things. But I, I don't see that that would be relevant to a small bijou hotel that's run in the Caribbean. So they are assuming with no evidence at all that they know what the show's going to be like and condemning it for that. And that is neither criticism nor journalism. John Cleese, Cleese, John Cleese on GB News. You can't imagine it being too funny, or am I being a bit of a pessimist? The reboot of of Forty Towers, a boutique hotel in the Caribbean or the Caribbean, depending on how you like to say it, run by Basil, who's um, obviously a much, much, much older man now, as Cleese is himself, and his daughter. You cannot imagine it being funny, but that's good, maybe. Manage expectations, and then when it does eventually come up for release, maybe it'll be very funny. And we'll be talking about it some Friday, saying, isn't it hilarious, the reboot of Faulty Towers? Max says, I liked the old Major. Ironically, they had him there as a parody, because he wasn't politically correct, and he was from another age, uh, another epoch, completely out of kilter for even that era. He was great. The Major's character was absolutely hilarious. Hilarious. And it never, never, never gets boring, Faulty Towers. I mean, you're not watching it, of course, every six weeks, but probably once every couple of years we'll switch it on. It'll be on Netflix or it'll be on some other streaming platform. And it is as funny now as watching it when I was a young boy in Ireland when the BBC would repeat it. Fantastic. Excuse me for coughing at you there. Pandora says, Richie, given the current rolling fervour, could you reach out to a guy called... Professor Derek Murphy, who wrote a book. Um, I'll have a look, Pandora. I'll make no promises, but I'll have a look at the at the guy. I'm not familiar with him, but I'll have a look. On the Commodore 64, Mick confirms, and the ZX Spectrum, they were cassette tapes with a screeching noise as they loaded. Fantastic. Kelly, thanks for your lovely words. I really appreciate them. I can't read them out because... People will think I've got a big head on me. I do have a big head on me, as it happens, so I won't uh, read that out. But thank you very much. It does mean a lot to me. And and I just want to repeat, that isn't a source of of ongoing, you know, nuisance to me. It's not a source of ongoing frustration for me. It isn't. It's just something that I've had to learn to deal with over the years. That the majority of, as I said, profiled guests or people will not come on and and that's just the way it is and and somebody said to me I should have said this to you I should have said this to you a long time ago because it it might settle that question it might answer that question when people say well I, I hear this guy this famous doctor why don't I hear him on the Richie Allen show I mean Richie says he's the biggest independent news radio show in the world I mean is he bullshitting no no they are invited and they invariably decline or they ignore most of the time they decline with a, with, with a reasonably polite message. No, thank you.
Don't forget this woman, Anna Breeze, this cretin who exaggerates uh, her, her ability and, and her experience, actually told a doctor, a guy called Roger Hodkinson, told him not to come on the Richie Allen show after he came on because he might be labelled as a anti-Semitic sympathiser. And that woman would, would claim to be an independent journalist. So it's not just, you know, dealing with the mainstream media coming after this particular programme. It's dealing with jealousy and hostility in the independent media as well. Oh, it's been some crack. When all is said and done, when I'm finished, and I will be finished someday, it won't be soon, but sometime in the next few years, sometime in the next five years, I'll say that's it, I'm done. Thanks very much, it's been brilliant, I've really enjoyed it, and thanks for your support. At that stage, I'll write a book, and uh, yeah... I have some stories, believe me, that um, that you'd find very amusing, I think. What will we talk about next this Friday? What will we talk about? Well, let's talk about London's ultra-low emission zone and Sadiq Khan. Oh, speaking of odious, awful, wretched, rotten, rancid little creatures, Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London. The only thing I ever agreed with Donald Trump on was Sadiq Khan. What a disgusting human being. Khan wants to get rid of cars off the roads of London. He says he doesn't, but then he's a lying little pipsqueak. Of course, these are not Sadiq Khan's agendas. He is just the front man for these agendas. You know this, I know this. 15-minute cities, low-traffic neighbourhoods, ultimate low-emission zones. Let's make, it, let's make it excruciatingly expensive for people to drive. Let's find them every time some poor bastard turns down a side street. Ah, you're in a zone that you shouldn't be in. So, beep, that's another £12, please. Bastard, Sadiq Khan. He was on LBC Radio today, where he gets asked no questions, really. But he took phone calls from the listeners. And this is quite bizarre, really. I would have thought that the presenter would say, OK, Sadiq Khan or Mr. Mayor, we've got uh, Richard on the line. But no, Sadiq Khan seems to be running things. Have a listen. OK, the first caller, uh, good morning, is from Woolwich, and it's Richard. Good morning, Richard. What? Who's fucking running? He was, he was on with James O'Brien. Oh, Christ, speaking of retards, he was on with James O'Brien, that bearded dipstick, right, who presents in the mid-morning. You're on some form today calling people names, buddy. I know I shouldn't do that. I should be professional. But this isn't a Richie Allen show, really. This is the bonus round, and I can say whatever I like. I say what I like. I work what do I like. I like. I don't like Sadiq Khan. I don't like him at all. I don't like James O'Brien. But who's running the show? Normally it's, uh, okay, Sadiq, we've got uh, Richard on the line. But no, Sadiq Khan is in charge. Okay, the first caller, uh, good morning, is from Woolwich, and it's Richard. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Sir, I voted for you. I'm, I'm, you cretin, Richard. I'm a great supporter for you. I'm going to talk about Euless. I think it's a very unfair um, tax against working people and the poor. Did you know, for example... It isn't a tax against working people and the poor. Yes, that's how it feels, of course, if you're a white van man, a tradie, if you're tradie. That's how it feels, of course, and to people who are on low incomes, of course it feels like that, but it's not about that. It's about getting rid of cars to save the planet. Well, in reality, it's about getting rid of cars so that you can be watched, monitored and listened to when you're on one of their fucking buses. That's what it's really all about, Richard! It now costs almost 40% more 
these sort of second-hand cars, which are ULIS compliant, they're now 40% more than they were a year ago. He's bang on. I bought a second-hand car late last year when my Renault Megane estate just started falling apart, which it did, falling apart at the seams. So I bought another estate car, and yes, I had to pay 40% more than I would have paid 18 months ago. Robbed I was. This is hitting working robbed people. And my question to you is, is there anything, anything that will stop you doing this madness? No, there isn't, Richard, because it isn't his programme. It's not his, Richard. He's just a little prick who's uh, basically rolling it out. Think of the film Casino. I've not used this analogy for a while, but I used to use it regularly. Think of the film Casino. According to the people of Nevada, who's running the casino? Robert, no, 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 no. Not Robert De Niro's character, Sam Ace Rothstein. No, no, the people think that, that Philip Green is running it. Philip Green, squirrely little fecker with curly hair who was given a cheque for $76 million by the Teamsters, but they didn't really give it to him. He, it's meant to look like he's running the casino. But really, the mob is running the casino. And they put Sam Ace Rothstein in there to do their dirty work, to skim the take. But the people and the politicians and, and the media, they think it's little Philip Green. And that's what's going on in London. The people of London think that Sadiq Khan, I'm not going to call him any more names because that's just a bit childish. Sadiq Khan, it's your fucking programme. You're kidding us, Sadiq. We have no money. I can't go for a drive without it costing me 40 quid. But it's not him. He's the front man. He's the puppet. And there are warehouses probably full of films and audio files of him doing disgusting things. That's how they compromise these feckers, you see. So Richard says, is there anything, anything that will make you stop this programme, which is making it so expensive to drive in London? Sadiq? Well, Richard, th thanks for your call and thanks for raising your uh, issues. So He's very smooth, isn't he? He doesn't stick to anything, this bastard. You couldn't stick him to anything. Let me first explain why we're expanding the ULES. Uh, toxic air is a matter of life and death in our city. Let's not listen to any more of that. So he goes into a spiel about toxic air and how they're saving babies from breathing toxic air. And listen, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I am not obtuse. I am not a truther. I've said that once already. I have to concede, yes, pollution is an issue in a place like London. Of course it is. But this isn't the answer. He goes on to say that they have attributed thousands of deaths to the pollution. There isn't any real evidence. He says there's a new Imperial College peer-reviewed study that says that pollution is killing thousands of people. It's making life difficult for some people. But there are ways to deal with that. Anywho, let's leave Sadiq Khan alone for now. Let's take another tune. And when the tune is over, I will read some more of your comments. It's Friday's The Bonus Round. Everything is wonderful. This is Danny Wilson. Being here is heavenly. And I'm Richie Allen. Every single day Danny Wilson, Mary's Prayer on whatever this is. It's Friday afternoon. It's 18 minutes to four o'clock. If you've just joined in, you've missed an interesting first 40 minutes. I think it was interesting anyway. It better have been, for my sake. Stephen says, faulty towers, only fools and horses and porridge. 
my three favourites. Great show, Richie, says Stephen. You're very kind, Stephen. Not sure this is great today. This is garbage, really, but thank you. Lloyd G mentioned this woman, Brees, and said she did the same thing to Iconic. She did. In fact, I wrote an article about it and her, which you can find if you Google, but use another search engine if you like. Use DuckDuckGo, DuckDuckGo, RichieAllen.co.uk, then put a space, then put your woman's name, and it'll come up the article, which is a fair, fairly written uh, piece about this woman and who she might be. I never get involved in that stuff. That truth or squabbling shit, I don't get involved in it because I, I'm not a truther, and I'm not interested. That's the third time. You denied me three times. I did. Max uh, was back on. And John posted something from Twitter, which is a bit strange, all right, John, I will give you that. Somebody called Elijah Schaefer has tweeted... A little clip of a lady, a lady, lady, a Lady Gaga performance, and it appears to show Lady Gaga on her knees on stage, banging the symbol of a drum set, drum kit, while a girl vomits on her. Have you seen this? This was posted today at five fifteen in the morning, UK time by this guy called Elijah Schaefer, who apparently is a podcaster. I've never heard of him. Doubt he's heard of me. And it does show clearly a girl sticking her fingers in her throat and vomiting some green substance over Lady Gaga, who is on her knees smacking the symbol of a drum kit. I don't know what that is all about, but I'm sure there are listeners to this show and to the regular show who might have a guess. They might venture a guess. What the hell is going on there? John, thanks for that. I'm glad I'm nowhere near dinner time. <laughs> but thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, what is going on? It is um, increasingly bizarre the things you see on live concert stages these days. It could be that I'm getting old and very conservative. I don't know though. That is a bit weird. What is the weirdest thing I've ever seen? I can't tell you, really. And I've been to many a concert, saw quite a bit of heavy metal in the day before I kind of migrated to different genres of music. Seen Bruce lots of times, U2 lots of times. U2's most recent live show. But one. (laughs) Maybe, but one. We did go to see it here in Manchester in 2015. And he did some crazy stuff with... um, You know when you use settings on your mobile phones so that when you film yourself, all sorts of weird things will happen? Augmented reality, I think. Bono did all sorts of stuff to make him look like the devil. But, 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 before you say, oh, well, this is satanic imagery. No, he once played a character in the Zoo TV world tour called um, Mephistopheles, or Mephisto as he called him. So I think he was reimagining that. But still, that's about as bizarre as anything I've ever seen. So yeah, Lady Gaga. I don't know when this was even filmed. On her knees, banging with a drumstick, banging the cymbals, crashing the cymbals, while a girl stands over her and induces vomiting by sticking her fingers down her throat and some sort of green stuff then presumably swallowed specifically for the performance is then ejected Projectile, well not projectile style, not really, but then 
falls on, hits Lady Gaga in the chest. Lady Gaga. Yeah. Mad stuff. Asher, is mad, Ted. It is. It is mad. Questions, answers even on a postcard to richieallen.co.u. Care of Salford. William Henderson. I should have thought of that myself. He says, I think it was the singing that made her sick. If she hadn't stuck her fingers in her throat, that'd be funny. It is funny anyway. Hi to Rosa. Hi, Rosa. Who loves the bit of Mary's prayer. She says, I keep a notebook and pen handy now so I can jot down the things you play. And it's great when I'm trying to put together a playlist and I can't remember what I like. I do the same with websites, so I'm never stuck for something interesting to explore. Hi to David Keane. Hi, David. How are you, pal? And Kelly has very helpfully shared the link to the article about your woman who was trying to scare guests away from the Richie Allen show and then later on from Gareth Ike and Iconic. Self-styled new media queen told researchers to avoid Iconic.com. That's the title of the article if you feel like checking it out. So the death penalty. The death penalty. When I was a young boy, I was leafing through one of those classified magazines, which we used to get free, kind of like the Friday ad, but I'm not sure it was the Friday ad. It was an Irish one. It might have been the Friday ad, but I'm not sure it was. And I was about 13, and I was leafing through. Do you like that? I was leafing through to see what I could see. I had no money at 13. And I didn't have a parent that would give me any money. So why I was leafing through the classifieds, were you looking at the the rude classifieds, were you? Yeah, of course I was. I was 13. But I came across an ad placed in this Irish magazine from a gentleman called Cleo Delacroix, who was incarcerated in, in Jacksonville in Florida on death row. And he was asking for pen pals. And this began a journey then for me. That sounds like a real bollocks, doesn't it, statement. Journey. Real cliche crap that you'd see in the mainstream media. Not a journey, but, yeah, I suppose a few years. It changed my life. I wrote to the gentleman from Waterford, from from Belvedere Drive in Waterford City, on Paddy Brown's Road. And I wrote to Cleo and I said, How are you doing, Cleo? I'm Richie, I'm 13, I saw your ad. I, can you imagine the innocence of me at 13? My initial thing was like, how are things? The guy's on death row. He's in a six foot by eight foot cell, 23 hours a day. But naive little little paddy child is writing to him saying, what's it like there? But he wrote me a beautiful letter back. Beautiful. Where he said, well, I, I, without being brutally um, graphic... He wrote to me to tell me just exactly what it was like. Dear Richie, I remember the letter. And he said, um, well, I was sentenced to death, he says, uh, 16 or whatever it was at the time, 16 and a half years ago. And he told me what happened. He, he Cleo and two other kids, they held up a, a petrol station or a service station, a gas station, as they would say in the United States. They were armed, not all of them. They had a shotgun between them. The gentleman was shot in a panic because he reached for a gun, God love him, to defend his business and to defend himself. And he was shot and he later died. He died a couple of days later in hospital. And the other two guys involved 
they did a deal with the district attorney. I was able to confirm all this for myself, even as a young boy. And they fingered Cleo, even though forensics didn't demonstrate clearly that Cleo was the guy who pulled the trigger. And Cleo was sentenced to death. The guy's got life with a minimum of, I don't know, 28 years or, or something like that. So he told me, he told me about the isolation. He told me about the loneliness. There was no self-pity whatsoever in his letter. He stated two or three times in the letter that it, it kills him, that he was involved in that robbery and that that man died and that that man's family had to go on without their father, without their uh, husband, without their uncle and so on. Killed him. He said he didn't shoot, uh, he didn't pull the trigger, he said, but he took responsibility for the death of the man. And that was really interesting to me as a young boy. And he told me about the horrors of living in a six foot by eight foot cell, 23 years a day. He wrote to me about the horrors of guards um, insulting him and um, taunting him, laughing at him and mocking him constantly. Uh, television's been turned up really loud. He told me about the horrors of knowing that some of his cellmates were insane and did not belong on death row. He told me about the fact that some of these men were convicted and sentenced to death for crimes they committed when they were minors. This was an absolute minefield for a 13-year-old boy. I hadn't a clue, but I got into it. And it started that do the inverted commas thing with your fingers go on. That journey of me beginning to become an, you know, an anti-capital punishment campaigner. The next thing I knew, I was talking as a young boy. I was on local radio. I was on national radio because I said, this is terrible. And they used to say to me, but what about the victims? And I used to concede because you can't lie. Like, you know, I used to say, I used to tell the truth. Well, if somebody I love was murdered, I would not want the state to take revenge on my behalf. I'd like to try. Everybody wants to exact vengeance. So you'd imagine in the hot-blooded situation, you might try to find the person and you might try to exact revenge. Now, please God, you'd fail because an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind and violence never solves anything. I've spoken to people who killed people, who actually killed people, who murdered people, who, who because of some injustice, because of, because of a rape or because of child abuse, and they always said to me it never made them feel good afterwards. It gave them no closure. But we can forgive if in the heat of the moment a man finds out that his son or his daughter has been sexually assaulted and then murdered. We can understand it if he races after the guy and if he catches up with him and if he actually murders him. We can understand it if we can't condone it. Okay? Vigilantism is not right. But we can understand it. So we might say, well, this guy is very unlikely ever to kill again. So let's not put him in jail. Let's suspend a sentence and put him on probation. That's okay. The state should not cold-bloodedly murder somebody by way of exacting revenge on behalf of one of its citizens. This is what I believe, and this is what I believe in my heart. No matter what the person does, however unimaginable it is, Freddy Krueger, filthy child murderer, Right, so the neighbours, it's a fictional story, the neighbours caught up with him and killed him. It's wrong, it's understandable, but the state shouldn't catch Fred Krueger, lock him up for 20 years, torture him, 
as they do, and then put them down on a table with an injection. The state shouldn't do that. That is my opinion. You might think differently. Cleo was executed, by the way, my pen pal, who I wrote to for several more years. And I spoke to him on the day before he died. And he was of sound mind, which was an amazing achievement, really. Because most guys locked up in that situation, they eventually, the mind deteriorates to the point where they're basically insane. Where they talk to themselves all the time, where they see people who are not there, where they hear voices. I know you're saying you're a bleeding heart's liberal, Richie. No, no, no. You never forget the victims, ever. But the state should not be taking revenge on behalf of the victims. I spoke to him the night before he died. And the, the night before he died was the very first time we spoke. We'd never had a conversation. We swapped letters for several years, a couple of times a month. And by that stage, I'd kind of, I'd kind of copped on to understand that really I need to send this guy a few bobs. So when I had a couple of bob, I got some dollars and sent it to him in stamps, you know, so that he could write to other people stay in touch with his family and all of that. So I'm very much anti the death penalty. Listen, a guy called Lee Anderson, who's known in the media as 30P Lee, because he said that nurses shouldn't be going to food banks, firefighters shouldn't be going to food banks, because you can cook nutritious meals for as little as 30p. Now, I don't know if you can or can't. I don't know if you can or cannot make a nutritious meal for a family on 30p. I don't know. But he has said that if he had his way, he would bring back the death penalty. Let's not sensationalise this, because he also said it's not going to happen. There isn't any support for it, politically anyway, not even in the uh, Conservative Party. But people are talking about it. So he's he's the new deputy chairman of the Conservative Party. I'm not going to subject you to him, but Anne Whittacombe was talking about this today with Mike Graham on Talk TV. Anne Whittacombe on the death penalty. I mean, Lee Anderson didn't say, let's bring it back. He just gave the case for it. Uh, I've been making the case for it uh, for many years. Um, but when I was Shadow Home Secretary, I didn't waste any time on trying to bring it back because in those days we couldn't have done anyway because of EU law. Mm. Uh, but also because I recognised that there just wasn't a majority in Parliament for doing that. But the biggest argument, as far as I'm concerned, for the death penalty, are the statistics from that five-year experimental period when um, we abolished the death penalty and we continued to collect statistics on the basis of the division between capital murder and non-capital murder, other forms of homicide. Mm. And the capital murder rate in that period when we didn't have the death penalty went up 125 Interesting. 125%. Now, to me, that is the ultimate argument that the death penalty is a deterrent. Now, yes. Sorry. No, I was going to yeah. say, well, well, it is, and that's not a statistic I've heard before, because we always hear from uh, the opposition to the death penalty lot that basically it's not a deterrent. Uh, well, that is a nonsense. I mean, there is no way of measuring whether it's a deterrent mm. or not when you don't have it. Yeah. That's Anne Whittacombe there. There's no evidence anywhere in the world that the death penalty has ever deterred anyone from committing a murder. We'll leave that one there. It's 90 seconds to the top of the hour. Hi to John Taylor. Hi, John. Hi to Josh, who says that he supports sterilisation for child murderers, such as Baby P's mother. 
Hmm. You could make an argument for locking up a child murderer forever. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with that either. Forever. I don't know. I just don't know. Uh, John Taylor. Hi, John. And John has also written something on the website about the flat earth thing, but I'm not going to get into that today. John Pandora says, Edward Delacroix was from the Green Mile movie with the mouse, Mr. Jingles of Mouseville. Edward Delacroix was one of the characters. That's right. Uh, Cleo Delacroix, somebody else entirely. That book was a short story. Well, it wasn't a short story. It was a novella by Stephen King, The Green Mile, with uh, Tom Hanks. And I can never remember the gentleman who played who played John Coffey. He, he passed away a few years ago. He had a relationship with Omarosa Manigault, didn't he? As far as I know, if memory serves. Anyway, thank you uh, for your comments. Do send them in. It's richieallen.co.uk and it is uh, Comment Live if, that's, uh, if you'd like to reach me. Somebody trying to ring me. I have put my phone on silent. No, no, they haven't. Let's swiftly move on to another story. Sending planes to Ukraine. The Ukrainian president, that's a joke. You can insert your own gag there. The comedian actor Vladimir Zelensky, again, speaking of puppets, we mentioned Sadiq Khan. This guy is a puppet. These are not his agendas. He is delivering a script. I believe that's my opinion. Sending planes to Ukraine. Everybody seems to be in favour of it. Let's listen to Thomas Fazy. Thomas Fazy writes for Unheard. And he was on Talk TV today. And he reckons it's dangerous to be talking about sending planes to Ukraine. Here he is, Thomas Fazy. No, absolutely. I mean, look, I mean, the point I was trying to make in that article was that everyone is entitled to their opinion when it comes to Ukraine, as on any other issue, of course. But in order to make an informed opinion, uh, you know, people have to be told the truth mm. about what's going on in Ukraine, about what our role in Ukraine is. And Western governments and UK government and other governments have not been telling citizens the, citizens the truth about our involvement in Ukraine, in the conflict. For the past year, you know, we're, we're reaching the, the, the first year anniversary of this uh, disastrous conflict. And for the past year, we've been hearing that you, you know, NATO is not at war with Russia. We're simply helping Ukraine defend itself, and that you know the equipment we're sending is purely defensive, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And none of this is true. Mm. I mean, the truth is that you know we're providing all sorts of increasingly powerful military equipment. We're providing training, logistical support, intelligence support to one of the warring factions, Ukraine, including for offensive operations. As in, you know, even in Russian territory, you know, which has happened already, and this is now openly admitted, even by uh, U.S. military officials, uh, such as using drones to strike in Russian airfields inside Russia and so on. So we are. Uh, you know, we are actively engaged in a military confrontation with Russia, you know, a nuclear powered mm. uh, 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 regional superpower with whom Europe shares, you know, a 2000 kilometer border. Right. And not only that, but we have been increasingly uh, escalating our support for Ukraine with, with no democratic debate whatsoever. So That's an interesting point. No democratic debate whatsoever. Let's send more tanks. Let's Let's train Ukrainian pilots. Let's send more money. Let's send more guns. Let's send more surface-to-air missiles. But there isn't any debate on it, he is saying. No, because the Labour Party is all in favour of it. The Labour Party is all in favour of this madness. And that begs the question, something that comes up on the, the Real Richie Allen Show, is Vladimir Putin as controlled in, 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 in Moscow as Sadiq Khan... Excuse me. They're all the same. 
I don't mean they look the same. They're all the same. I mean, as um, Rishi Sunak is in London. Is Vladimir Putin as controlled by those pushing this technocratic Orwellian agenda? Uh, is he as controlled in terms of what he does and what he can't do as Rishi Sunak is? I think most of the Richie Allen Show listeners disagree with me. That's that's good. It's healthy for the debate. But I think he is. And people are terrified about World War Three. People are terrified that the more we do, the more we send to Ukraine, if we do indeed send them planes, fighter jets, this will eventually back Vladimir Putin into a corner and then he might launch serious weaponry in the direction of Europe and, of course, the UK and Ireland. But I don't believe this. I don't believe this at all. There is a deep population agenda in play. I think you and I definitely agree on that. But I don't think they will expedite it through a nuclear winter. I don't believe that. I think Putin is controlled and is taking orders too. Maybe not from the exact same people or shadowy groups or, you know, world economic forums. Maybe not. I don't know. But um, he's not, I don't believe he is acting of his own volition. What do you think? But it's funny he said, Thomas Faisy from Unheard, isn't it that, wow, there's no democratic debate. Listen to Stella Creasy, the Labour MP from Walthamstow. Greasy Creasy. Don't like her either. Never saw a man she liked. That's probably unfair, so I'll, I withdraw. With respect, would the member withdraw? Yes. Indeed, I withdraw. Yeah, yeah. We shouldn't say that about Stella, that she hates all men. She hates most men. Respectfully, the member should withdraw. I withdraw that too. She probably doesn't hate most men. Oh, Jesus. I had an interesting exchange with her on Twitter before I was banned from Twitter, but it had nothing to do with my ban from Twitter. But she's a Labour. They're supposed to oppose the government. They're supposed to be, you know, trying to bring about some sort of peaceful solution in Ukraine. So she was on the BBC's Politics Live this lunchtime. Stella! Greasy, greasy. Do you think we should send planes to Ukraine? No, I think in principle there is a case to do it. I think there are... There is a case to do it in principle. Fucking... Are things we would need to do, for example, about making sure they wouldn't go into Russian airspace. Um, I think there are practical considerations about which jets and what makes sense and the training that we're already doing. I don't. She's some naive bent, isn't she? Yes, there is a case to be made for, but just make sure that they don't operate in Russian airspace. Except Ed's point about um, escalation, mainly because I you think don't. people said that about tanks, and actually we've seen that there's been a recognition. What a bimbo! I don't take the other person's point about escalation because we've sent tanks and that hasn't escalated. So let's try planes. Why not? That this, that, that this is not the, the, the case. Um, but I think absolutely there's a case in principle and we should be exploring it and looking at how quickly we can support them because it is in our interest for this conflict to end and it is in our... No, no sense of irony, greasy greasy. It's in our interest for this conflict to end. Let's end planes. <laughs> oh God, let's send planes. Let's send planes... It is in our interest for this conflict to end, so let's send planes. Mm, Stella Creasy. Stella Creasy. Oh, shut up, you tart. Yeah, she, she then went on to say, it's in our interest for Ukraine to win as well. That was Politics Live this lunchtime 
this lunchtime on BBC Television, BBC Two. It's seven minutes past four. It is uh, Friday the 10th. It is the Richie Allen singing me, jiggy me. It isn't the regular show. It's just me probably with you for another 25 minutes or thereabouts. Please. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. When we return, I'll read more of your comments, so I will. I'll read your comments, you scallywags. And then we'll do two or three more stories this Friday. This is music from Thin Lizzy. It's called Dedication. BBG, live from BBG Towers. Good afternoon, good afternoon. Thin Lizzy, dedication on the Richie whatever this is. Sean says on Twitter the politicians are so keen to go to war with uh, Russia then they should go on the front line themselves. That has been said many times over the years, Sean, and it is always worth saying. Amen. I remember in Fahrenheit 9-11, Michael Moore, who you probably think is a bit of a dipstick. Fair enough, he probably is. I remember Moore going to Congress. He went to DC, didn't he? And he walked around asking, he had a clipboard and he had a pen and he asked various congressmen and women if they would sign their own teenage sons and daughters up to the army to go and fight these mad wars, these illegal wars. Good point, Sean. It's always worth a mention that. Uh, hi to John came back to say, I am unsure if Putin is as controlled as you think, Richie, but it might be possible that he is with him going through the World Economic Forum's Young Leaders Programme. Thanks for that, John. I don't know, uh, John, I don't know, pal. I don't say it. I think you, you might appreciate about my presentation approach. I don't say that these things are facts because I don't know. Uh, Kelly agrees with me, thinks he might be or, or, or he is as controlled as everybody else. Paul Craig Roberts summed it up, didn't he? The lovely gentleman that is Paul Craig Roberts. He summed it up and he said, Richie, I hope you're wrong. He doesn't agree with me, by the way. Paul does not agree with me. But he, um, you know, he, he he's a great um, guy to have a debate with because he listens and he doesn't jump all over you. He said, I don't agree with you, Richie, but I'll tell you one thing, he says, I hope you are wrong. Because if you are right, he said to me, we are screwed. I am, I am, I am paraphrasing. Paul probably put it more eloquently than that. Max makes the point that Putin was part of the World Economic Forum leadership programme. Thanks, Max. Of course, again, we, we leave room for the possibility that Putin might have eschewed himself of the ideals of the World Economic Forum. Do you like that? He might have eschewed himself of the ideals. Um, Pandora says in theory he was too old for that programme and uh, Klaus slipped up there. Okay. And then she says somebody else has presented evidence that they are indeed close friends. And then Pandora says, I, I apologise on the Delacroix mix-up, Richie. I must have misheard your Cleo as Eduardo. Well, Pandora, I... I, if I'm going to make up stories about writing to death row inmates, I'm not going to use the name of a fictional death row inmate from a very famous movie. Pandora, I'd have to be pretty stupid to write a book about killing somebody and then kill somebody exactly the same way I described it in my book, if you hear me. No, no, I'm pretty well known back home for uh, writing to death row inmates. He wasn't the only one I wrote to. I wrote to several 
men and women over the years. So I did back in my teenage years and my early 20s. Josh says, I'm sorry, but child murderers should never be able to have children themselves. And that's my opinion. Sterilised child murderers. I don't agree with that either. If you lock them up long enough, it doesn't matter whether you sterilise them or not because they're not going to get out and, you know, they're not going to have children. So they're not, you know, at 14 minutes past the hour. We have covered the old gay marriage thing this week, haven't we? We have, to be sure, to be sure. Because the Church of England, bishops working for the Church of England Synod, spent five years looking into whether the church should reverse its century-old stance on gay marriage and allow gay couples to marry inside the church. So they spent five years looking into this. They concluded, the bishops, that the church should not allow gays to marry in the church but maybe we should bless gay couples who married elsewhere. Well, the vote is in. This happened yesterday. And they voted to, yes, to bless or to, to give priests the, the option to bless gay couples who did get married somewhere else. So they voted yes. And if you're a gay man and you get married to your partner and you are some, you are a Christian and you attend a Church of England, a Church of England service, right? You may now ask your priest or your vicar if he or she will marry you. Excuse me, Jesus Richie will bless you. So you get married in the town hall. You can now go to the priest or vicar and say, would you bless this union officially? However, it is being left up to the discretion of the priests and vicars. They are not compelled to do this. But Charlie Bell is an Anglican priest, so Church of England. He's pretty happy with the news that um, he will be in a position to bless the unions. Here he is, Charlie Bell. Um, something that a journey that I went on to um, understand uh, what foods do, how you die. Uh, that's not Charlie Bell. I do know who that is, but I, I shouldn't say because I'll be going back to that in a minute. Uh, that's not Charlie Bell. This is Charlie Bell, the Anglican priest who's pretty happy that he'll get to bless gay couples who got married somewhere else. The reason that we haven't been able to go all the way to marriage is because there's a very vocal, very well-organised, very political group um, of people on Synod who have prevented that from happening. Mm. Uh, so yes, I would much prefer this to have been marriage, but they would never have allowed it through under the Synod rules requiring two-thirds majority. So yes, am I disappointed it's not marriage? Uh, yes, absolutely. But I'm delighted that finally... Those uh, couples that come to us who have lived covenanted, wonderful, life-giving, glorious relationships, we can finally give them the seal of approval, finally bless them before the altar of God. So Charlie Bell is delighted, but he's not happy that they didn't go the full hog, go the whole way. I had a tweet earlier from John, John Rorty. I've mentioned John a few times over the years on the programme. John's a gay man living in Boston. How are you doing, John? Um, New York, John. New York State, is it, or Boston? Let me just double-check there. That is the beauty of uh, Twitter. It doesn't say in John's bio. I think it's Boston or New York State. But John is gay and he's been married to Steve, his fella, for 25 years. And he said he was listening to this being discussed on the programme on Wednesday. And he tweeted me. He says, a Wednesday's show, should mainstream churches like the Church of England 
be harassed into changing the dogma and into embracing gay marriage. And John says, who is gay, who is married? He says, no, let them be. It only divides people further. There is an abundance of gay embracing churches like Presbyterian, Unitarian and small fellowships. So John is unequivocal. Don't do it. You're dividing people further. Um, they shouldn't be forced to change dogma. They shouldn't be told that you, you shouldn't believe the scriptures. That's all wrong. You've now got to embrace gay marriage. Thank you, John. And I quote tweeted him to say something along the lines of compromise has become a dirty word, eh? Because it has. Compromise has become a dirty word in 20, well, long before 2023. John is compromising. He's saying, look, why we can't be forcing the Church of England to to do what we want them to do or what we might not want them to do. We have to say, no, we shouldn't force them to change. Let them be. It only divides people even further. And there are other options for gay couples in terms of the church. There are the Presbyterians and the Unitarians. I'm pretty sure there are Presbyterian and Unitarian churches here in the UK. The time is 19 minutes past the hour of four o'clock, just in case you, dear listener, need to be somewhere. Speaking of madness, Patrice Evra is mad. He is a footballer who played for Manchester United for about seven or so years, eight years, maybe even nine years, in the mid-2000s, noughties into 2014, I think. Brilliant in his prime. Very eccentric gentleman. You sometimes come across Patrice doing some punditry these days for Amazon, and he's done some punditry for Sky as well. He's hilarious. He's got a Twitter account and an Instagram account, which is funny. He's a genuine eccentric. He's not putting it on. Like he's a bit of a loose cannon. But he's been fined. £890. This is by by French magistrates. And he has been forced to hand over £1,780 in compensation to two anti-hate groups. What did he do to be told you've got to give £1,780 now, Patrice, to two anti-hate groups. What did you do, you hateful bastards? <laughs> well, back in 2019, my God, this is three years ago, he was watching his football, not his football team, he was watching Paris Saint-Germain of Paris knock Manchester United, my team, and Patrice's team, out of the Champions League. And he posted something about it. <laughs> he posted... A video, and in the video he said, he said, Paris, you are queers. That was it. Paris, you are queers. Now the judge hearing this case said the video had been recorded in a private setting, but it was later posted on Snapchat without the knowledge of Patrice Everett. So somebody else put this up on, on, um, on, um, online without him knowing. So it was, it was in a Snapchat conversation. And the the other agent on the other end of the conversation posted this. So Paris prosecutors opened an investigation into this. God knows how much money they spent on this. You know, probably thousands and thousands of euro. Because the guy said in a football setting, Paris, you are queers because you knocked his team out of the Champions League. Yeah, it is nuts, isn't it? I bet you couldn't find a gay person to say that they were offended by that. I bet you couldn't find one. 
in Paris. Hey, listen, do you know what Patrice ever said? No. He said, Paris, you are queers, did he? Yeah, and next. 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 Uh, Kelly, what was it? Pandora, thanks, I get you, and I got you. Thank you very much. I completely got you. I was jesting myself. I was jesting myself. Right, I'm, I'm kind of nearly done for today now, to be honest with you. I think I'm nearly done for today. I came on out of the blue this morning. I thought, you know what? If I... Because I didn't have anything to do, you see. I do... Friday is a day I generally do not work. I I do work on Saturdays. I work on the Richie Allen show for next week. And I also prepare the Sunday morning show. But Friday I don't work. But I do sometimes have things to do that are not work. Today, I didn't have a lot to do. And I thought to myself, well, that's dangerous, Richie, because in, in that vacuum, it's often filled by alcohol. Don't fall into that trap of a 2 o'clock, 2.30. You know what? I'll just have a cold beer. And before you know it, you've had several. So I said to myself, I'll go on and I'll have a chat with my listener. We'll have a bit of a chinwag about one or two interesting stories. And I don't think I've bored you, have I? Dear listener, I don't think I've bored you at all. But do, if you get a chance, if it's your thing, if it's not your thing, do check out the Sunday morning show. It's live at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning. It's a really relaxing music programme with a few interesting stories, completely chilled. Bit of a throwback radio show, really. Sunday morning melodies with the BBD on richieallen.co.uk that's it at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning on richieallen.co.uk on Fab Radio and it's on the TuneIn app. Speaking of apps, right, I've, I've, just, I, I've just signed the contract. I've just agreed to have an app produced for the Richie Allen Show by a company that was very helpful in installing the new studio. They were a huge help to me and to Paul. In fact, they sent a lovely gentleman from Yorkshire over to the studio to spend two days with us installing as a new rig. They're a brilliant company. They're very well known. They're going to put an app together for us, which will be downloadable in the Google and Apple stores, if that makes sense. A lot of people do listen through the phones these days. I know this. I'm well aware of it. You've never heard me complain about that. Look, smart technology, it's dangerous, it's problematic, we know where it's all meant to go, but there are some uses for this technology. I mean, I find the smartphone fairly useful in terms of it's great to be out and about and to reply to an email when you're on the run. You know, that, that's a thing. For a news producer like myself, that is a pretty handy bloody thing. Or to very quickly look at a video, it is handy. But I know that the smartphone is a Trojan horse for children. I know this. I'm well aware of it. But I also have to move with the times. And I'm constantly trying to grow the reach of the radio show. You never stop. Like It doesn't matter how many people listen on any given week. I want more people to listen. It's got nothing to do with my ego. It's got nothing to do with me wallowing in the knowledge that, you know, lots of people are listening. No, it's because I still have this stupid, idealistic, this, this, this naive thing in my head that the more people listen to a show like this the more chance we have of some change happening in the future. That's naive I think but it's how I operate right so I think with the with the app I think that's going to be maybe helpful because pretty much everybody has an app now 
I'm always late to the party. I thought about this about five years ago. And then somebody said they would make me one, but I saw their other work. Wasn't great, okay, so I didn't like that. I went to a company who made apps. At that time, it was thousands of pounds. Didn't have the money, right? But this company, it isn't thousands of pounds. It's actually only going to be several hundred pounds, and it's going to look magnificent. It really is, and you'll be able to go on there, you'll be able to read articles, you'll be able to even post through the app, right? And all that sort of, this is probably all common technology, but I don't know. And you'll be able to listen to the programme through it, and I'm kind of excited about that, to have my own app kind of a thing as it were. Right, so again, thank you for listening in today at the last minute. I dropped it on you, what, about lunchtime today, just before lunchtime? I dropped it on you that I was coming on for a chin wag, uh, unusually on a Friday. But as I said, don't expect this to become a regular occurrence because it won't become a regular occurrence, dear listener. Because I need a day off like everybody else. Thanks, right? Good week, I think, this week. Back on Monday with the Richie Allen Show at 5 o'clock. But if you like your easy listening music and you want to just have a chill, join me on Sunday at 10 o'clock. I'll be delighted to meet you on Sunday at 10 right here on my website. Hey, listen, have a fantastic weekend. Look after yourselves and one another. Here's Van the Man. Beautiful this. Thank you.